This podcast is brought to you by the ATMS, the Australian Traditional Medicine Society. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining us on the line today is Vanessa Hitch, who has over 15 years' experience as a naturopathic practitioner, international speaker and educator, and natural medicine formulator. Vanessa has also taught clinical nutrition at several complementary medicine colleges, both in Australia and in New Zealand. As a clinician, Vanessa is experienced at getting to the heart of each person's health issues, connecting underlying imbalances and restoring vitality by using individualised nutrition, herbal medicine and many other natural medicine modalities. Vanessa has a passion for endocrine disruption and is driven by her curiosity for the differences in patient responses. Today we're going to be talking about something that is quite alien to me and that is the exposome. Vanessa Hitch, welcome to FX Medicine. How are you? I'm really well, Andrew. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And yeah, thank you for the wonderful introduction. I'm really looking forward to chatting today about the exposome and, uh, you know, the, the, the toxin load that we and our, our clients carry around with us uh, every day. And it's growing and growing, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But first off, what is the exposome? Because this was quite alien to me. Okay, so the way we understand the exposome is that it is the sum total of our exposures from our environment. So it's our, our external exposures as exposed as uh, opposed to maybe non-genetic types of bents or, or tendencies. So it's really our external environmental exposures from conception onwards that may or may not create detoxification challenges, as opposed to maybe our, our genome, which is really the sum of our individual DNA, which includes all of our you know gene mutations or gene variations like SNPs, which we call single nuclear poly, nucleotide polymorphism. So so it's really the external uh, influence, our diet, our lifestyle, the environmental input, if you will. That is the exposome. So forgive my pun here, but to snip between, I, to couldn't, be help my, I couldn't help myself, to snip between birth and what might come from the mother, i.e. The, the load of the mother and the, the resultant effects on the fetus, where's the cutoff point here? Well, that's a really great area. That That is a very great area. So, uh, you know, if we were to look at some definitions of exposome, we might say conception onwards. And mm -hmm. if we look at, uh, you know, others, it might be birth onwards. But right. really, it's very difficult to to separate the exposome and the genome, I guess. And, you know, there's a, it's quite a buzz, isn't it, to, to use own, meaning the, the sum totality, if you will. We've got our microbiome. Um, as well. And so the way I think about it, if we look at exposome, the way I think about it is, you know, we have two aspects to determine our health or disease state. The first one is the environmental input or our exposome, which is our air quality, our water, our lifestyle, our nutritional uh, influences. So do we have a nutritional excess or deficiency? What is our diet like? 
even stresses and trauma, uh, drugs, medicines, all those types of things. So we've got all of this input, but then we've got to ask ourselves, well, how do we process all of this input? How do we excrete these wastes and toxins? And that's probably where our genome comes into play a little bit more because, uh, you know, it's our genes that really just encode for the production of cellular components, particularly enzymes. And I'm really interested in enzymes. So I like to say the genetic conversation or the genome conversation is really an enzyme conversation because the genome will to some degree, not entirely, of mm. course, but to mm. some degree govern our enzyme manufacture and function. And it's the enzymes that are going to process our wastes, our toxins and detoxify. So we've got our, our input, which is our exosome. And then we've got, well, what, how does the body output it? How does the body excrete all of this? And I think these are two really important areas. It's one thing for us to try and reduce our toxicity in our diet and, and lifestyle and environment, which is to reduce our exosome. That is critical, of course. But we also have to have a look at, well, how are we processing these toxins? So it is, um, and and what's what's coming out? And I think I actually think what's coming out is just as important as what's being put in. Is it the case that sometimes, not necessarily the toxin itself, but other toxins might have an impact in how other toxins are excreted? Yeah, absolutely. So if, for for instance, you, you know, you mentioned in your introduction that uh, you know I really like treating endocrine disorders in my clinic, which is thyroid, hormonal, and adrenal. So I see a lot of women in my practice who have you know estrogen metabolism issues, and so if some of their cytochrome P450 enzymes or even if their their phase two detoxification enzymes are being used up with with toxin by by trying to metabolize metabolize a toxin load, then there's going to be less available for the effective detoxification of some of our estrogen metabolites. For instance, you know, and that could be uh, you know, that could be even things, even things as simple as inflammation. We know that inflammation actually upregulates estradiol. Uh, we know that cortisol upregulates estradiol, and we know that certain toxins um, can shift mm. around the way that some of these phase one site enzymes actually break down things like estrogen. So that that's probably a particular instance. Uh, interest to me but yes if you so if you're having a lot of coffee and alcohol for instance there's going to be less available detoxification enzymes to break down really valuable uh, you know really valuable processes of breakdown for these toxins and chemicals that we experience in our everyday world when we're talking historically just how much has this changed over the last one, two generations? I was reminded of something from, uh, we're talking the Industrial Revolution with regards to lead levels, and it was just exploded. As soon as we had petrochemicals, lead was in our bodies to a far higher level, level than previously um, exposed. Um, even in, what is it now, probably, is it 50 years since we've had the OCP, the oral contraceptive pill. So now we've got women exposed to, you know, huge amounts of, of estrogens. Absolutely. You know, even a very low dose oral contraceptive pill may have up to 20 times a woman's natural estrogen levels. And that's going to very clearly affect 
their estrogen metabolism. That's going, that's going to mean there's going to be a big burden placed on the body to try and effectively excrete that. And therefore, we won't be having that resource available to excrete some of the toxins we're exposed to. But from a, a historical perspective, Andrew, I always like to take a really big picture approach and have a look at the evolution of detoxification. Mm. And I, I, I use the analogy that, you know, if we evolved over, you know, 100,000 plus generations to, based on, you know, what kind of evidence you're looking at. Mm. And so we're talking about 100,000 plus generations where we evolved to cope only with the level of toxin exposure of our pre-industrial ancestors for a millennia. Uh, and yet in the last two, three, maybe four generations, we're seeing these unprecedented levels of toxic exposure from industry, and that includes heavy metals. So sort of people sort of will say, well, look, heavy metals have always been with us in the ground, you know, even a thousand years ago. And, and that's absolutely true, but they are being dug up at this huge exponential rate uh, for uses in industrial and sometimes even domestic purposes. And so we, on the one hand, we've got this, you know, incredible increase in the last few generations. But what we lack is the, the, the evolutionary adaptivity to mm. be able to cope with this level of toxicity. So our detox ability has actually reduced. And in fact, it's really interesting in my clinic, I do, uh, you know, genome profiling and I've, I've been really lucky now to do families where I've got, you know, uh, grandma, mum and daughter. You know, so three generations of, of families coming in and, you know, every generation has more SNPs, more yeah. single nucleotide polymorphisms. Uh, and, you know, so genetically from that perspective, we are, we are actually getting more dysfunctional, particularly in the area of detoxification. We think about these chemicals and we think about these molecules as you know, vapors or pesticides, almost, dare I say the word, giving it a liquid entity. One of the things I'm really learning about, and fascinated isn't the right word, it's horrified, and that is these microplastics. What about them? Yeah, yeah. So this is a very real problem. And I would have to say that most of the clients coming into my clinic, we start to have a, we, st we have to have a look at cleaning up their environment. So this is their exposome. And part of that is going to be uh, getting rid of plastics in their environment, getting rid of, or, you know, all of those types of, of toxins and, uh, you know, even mycotoxins can be such a, such a, a huge problem mm. causing uh, blockages in detoxification, causing inflammation, causing all of these types of pro uh, problems. And unfortunately, they seem to end up in the fatty tissue, in our fatty tissue. Um, and so, you know, I, we see a lot of, uh, of, well, I see a lot of women coming in with problems uh, related to obesity, diabetes, not just their, you know, female hormones, but that's a huge, huge issue as well. Uh, and also thyroid problems. So the little old thyroid is, is really getting beaten up. Um, by some of these endocrine disrupting chemicals. And I, I probably want, would love to mention, Andrew, is that it's not just the PBAs and the PCBs and, and the phthalates and all of those types of commonly known endocrine disrupting chemicals, mm. but endocrine dis it disruptors include arsenic, cadmium and lead. 
as you mentioned. Mm. And so even the heavy metals can be endocrine disruptors and uh, it's a very real problem. We're becoming familiar with the term nutrigenomics. It's only just settling in my brain, this one, and how nutrients affect gene expression. Can we indeed change our reaction to pollutants or is it set in our genes, our constitution? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's not set. And I love that about epigenetics because it implies this plasticity. It implies that, you know, our genes are our tendency, not our destiny. And in fact, the I love the term nutrigenomics as well, which really is about how nutrition and to some degree herbs can affect genetic expression uh, for the health and well-being of our clients. And so while there is a, you know, a really big explosion in this kind of uh, information coming out, information on nutrigenomics, information on epigenetics, information on, you know, methylation. And one thing that I'm certain of, Andrew, is that we are only just at the beginning of this uh, journey of understanding of the, the impact of our diet, lifestyle and our exposome. Uh, on our gene expression, mm. and look, there are much more uh, learned people that, than than I am who are talking about maybe a 35 percent sort of ratio. But these are all hypothetical numbers where they're saying that perhaps it may be thirty to thirty five percent our gene, our genic, our genes. And maybe, you know, 65, 70% our diet, lifestyle, stress, trauma, you know, even our emotions and our thoughts that are interacting and influencing. So I think in a way that's really good news, isn't it? Because, no, it's not set in stone. No, yes, we can do something about it. Uh, and it is just our, testen- our tendency. It's not our destiny. We can really make a huge, huge difference and an impact. And I think that's something that has really sort of lightened the lightened the hearts of a lot of practitioners, mm. knowing that they can actually make a really big difference rather than, oh, well, Eugene said that, so, you know, goodbye, there's no point. Now, this is, of course, personalised medicine. And you mentioned earlier that you're seeing more and more SNPs in subsequent generations. This is obviously a two-way street. The exposome is affecting gene expression and the gene expression is affecting the exposome. Have I got that right? You you absolutely have. So, you know, as you mentioned, you, you might have a, a woman who who gets pregnant and at that time she's exposed to a lot of, you know, stress and pollution. And so what what uh, allel of any type uh, is she going to pass on to her child? Is it going to be uh, a, a variant one or is it going to be a healthy or sort of wild type one? And I, I guess I should probably explain myself a little bit better. If we think about it, that our DNA, as I mentioned earlier, is really just the instructions or the blueprint that we need to construct our cellular components, but our receptors as well, and also our enzymes. So the gene, if the gene sequence varies from the normal healthy wild type, as we call it, mm. it's called a single singular nucleotide polymorphism, which we call a SNP. And if there is that variant, we say gene mutation. I try not to use that term with my clients because it, you know, it can make them feel like they're a mutant, yeah. and they're not because there's so many of us walking around with these variants. But that means that the cellular component, such as the enzyme, won't be manufactured properly. It may have less than 100% functionality, or it might even have more. So. 
Um, this is particularly true for the genes that encode for the production of enzymes. And enzymes are really, really important when we talk about uh, detoxification because all detoxification processes rely on enzymes. And so we start to see that when there is this gene variation, um, we start to see very different uh, sorry, we start to see a really big difference in the way people detoxify. So I do a lot of genome profiling, not on everybody, but uh, you know, there's a lot more people interested in it now. And we might find that they need more support based on the results. We might find they need more support in the area of phase one detoxification. Perhaps they have certain site enzymes that are, in fact, uh, making it really difficult for them to break down some of the endocrine disrupting chemicals, or they might find that some of these uh, variations in their production of their site, site enzymes means that they are actually producing more harmful estrogens instead of beneficial estrogens when they break down estradiol. So in those cases, I am always really wanting to focus on antioxidant support because any kind of dysfunction with phase one detoxification, you, you, I find, I, you know, I can't go wrong with really nice antioxidant support. But also then I might need to add in natural medicines that are really specific for changing the metabolism of estradiol into more beneficial forms of estrogen metabolites. Mm. If, on the other hand, they may have, they may have come back and they may have a lot of gene variants or gene mutations in the area of, you know, their, their glutathionation or a glutathione conjugation of some of their toxins, in which case I need to provide glutathione support, um, or even the poor sulfation of toxins. So there's so much that we need to have a look at. And of the, the very popular gene variant that people talk about a lot is MTHFR. Yeah. For me, MTHFR is is the gene that encodes for the production of the enzyme methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase. And really, you know, that is part of the equation, but certainly not the whole picture. But it does influence the methylation uh, in their detoxification, in their phase two detoxification of certain endocrine disrupting chemicals, certainly lots of heavy metals. Um, and so... This is where personalized medicine comes into play. I certainly always look at, you know, a, a multi-system medicine approach where there are some things that we do for all our clients, which is clean up their diet, clean up their lifestyle, reduce their exposome as much as possible. And those things are always going to benefit everyone. But then we get into this really interesting area of personalizing their medicine and providing really specific support in the area of detoxification that they need need mm. and I really find that it works far far better than than sort of a, a just sort of a, a just a a, a, a protocol like, <laughs> yeah just a, just a protocol I a hate protocols protocol that you follow with, <laughs> with everybody yeah absolutely so this is where it starts to get really exciting but as I said Andrew I really feel that we and certainly myself we're only just at the beginning of of our learning in this and I think that you know what we know five years from now we'll look back and go wow yeah if you've got such a load on our bodies, we've got thousands of, I think I read once years ago, was it something like 40,000 chemicals since World War II? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I, I, well, I was just looking at some data that mentions, uh, I think, 
70,000? 70,000. So these are new chemicals. These aren't, these weren't here before. These are new things. Is that right? That's right. That's right. They're, they're, um, they were never, never around in the last, you know, until about two or three generations. Um, and, you know, some of them haven't even been registered for safety. No. So we're, it's, a, it's a very real problem, I think. So when uh, you've got this multitude of chemicals from all sorts of issues, from people heating up plastics, from people, you know, drinking out of their water bottle that's been sitting in the car for five days, from makeup, <laughs> from, um, you know, foods in the environment, from, as you say, poor dietary choices. Um, in fact, I, I remember Joe Pizzorno talking about even salt was a toxin um, mm. that it could affect our <laughs> detoxification. So th- there's this huge array of assaults on us. How do you go, that's the one I'm going to pick? Do you focus first on getting them functioning and then saying, okay, look, down the track, we'll look at cleaning up your exposome? Or do you say, we need to do the exposome first or else we're never going to get anywhere? Yeah, I think, you know, we go to that concept of, of the of of the bucket theory of toxicity where it might only be drip drip and you know, for those of us who've had a, a leaky roof, you know, one drip isn't a isn't a problem, two drips isn't a problem, but it's drip, 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 drip over time, over years. Um, and sure enough, that bucket's going to get full. So we, then we have to ask ourselves, well, you know, how do we get the get the toxins out of the bucket? Where how big is the the hole in the bucket? How can we get it out? And so for me, as a practitioner, we have to clean up the exposome. We absolutely have to do that, and at the same time, support the detoxification. So I don't do one before the other because, as you mentioned earlier, Andrew, that they're so connected. It's really difficult to distinguish them, and I tend not to focus on one particular toxin, or you know, or I, I focus on the person's total exposome, their total load, if you will. And so, for me in my clinic, because I see a lot of women with thyroid issues, with hormonal issues, I'm looking at a, a lot of you know estrogen excess conditions. So. How do I know? How do I know when we need to do detoxification and clean up? There's a few red flags. And one of them is, it is, you know, women coming in with those estrogen dominant sort of conditions, um, you know, like uh, endometriosis, fibrocystic breast problems, PMS, uh, you know, weight gain and things like that. I, I'm pretty clear now that almost everybody coming into my practice needs cleaning up and at the very least if I'm not encouraging the detoxification processes through specific personalized medicine um, I'm at the very least reducing their exposome so looking at their personal care products and their cleaning products looking you know women particularly have a a much higher susceptibility Andrew because we we have a much higher fat to muscle ratio and all of these endocrine endocrine disrupting chemicals they just love to sit and get stored in the fat Um, and also we are the highest users of personal care products so it's estimated now that women are using up to about 15 personal care products a day that's a lot of steps you know (laughs) it's a lot of steps now (laughs) and then you've got all of these other um sources of endocrine disrupting chemicals, EDCs, yeah. from yeah. such a multitude of sources. It, it just becomes a minefield. And, and some of them are really sort of gateway toxins, you know, that, that like triclosan and some of the phthalates oh. that sort of 
they what they do is they allow the other chemicals to get in and get absorbed much better. But you know, there is there. I don't want to make out that that it's a it's a lost cause because there are also some fantastic uh, you know organic chemical free products that we can choose. So you know, women don't have to. I don't think they have to, you know, I'm a fan of not necessarily having to compromise everything, uh, but we need to make those choices. And I, I'm a big fan of if 80 to 90% of our choices are really good, if our everyday choices are not to use a chemical hairspray, use a natural one, you know, not ought to use all organic makeup and chemical-free products, um, then, you know, if we are exposed then a, a little bit from time to time, um, then, then that's okay if our detoxification processes are working well. So it's, it's 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 not. I mean, it's very easy to get into the doom and gloom, isn't it, of it, yeah. and to just get completely overwhelmed by it. But there are solutions out there, and I think that's what uh, what I'm trying to to achieve in in practice. Apart from the people that are canaries in the mine, do you find that most people of reasonable health can have a lot of leeway in what they can handle? As the as per the assault on their exposone, and therefore they can, you know, let's say be a little bit bad or continue on as life as normal. I guess where I'm going with this is how quickly do you think they can recover if they run into a situation? I guess I used to think that Andrew, I you know you you, you do hear of those people that are you know 93 and still smoking and drinking. And I think one of the world's oldest women died at 123 and she had a glass of champagne nearly every day of her life. And, and that's, it's not, I know it, right? It, she, she used to say everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> it was a French woman. I can't recall her name, but I used to believe that. Uh, I have to say that given the information that I'm looking at in the genome profiles of the, of the mothers and children as opposed to the grandmothers coming in, it's less and less so that they've got this enormous leeway. I think even if you are healthy, that's fantastic. You should still go all organic. You should still, you know, reduce your, you know, purify your water. You should still really try and strive um, to, to, you know, to really reduce that exposome because it's not going away. And it will affect the endocrine function. Like we know that the endocrine disrupting chemicals affect, uh, you know, the, the insulin and the and obesity. We know that they affect both male and female, uh, um, health reproduction. We know that they affect the thyroid and also neurodevelopment and all of the neuroendocrine systems. And we also know, and this is probably the most important point, that it, uh, these, these chemicals are, uh, causing epigenetic changes. So that means that even if the person is sort of strong as an ox from a genetic perspective and, you know, doesn't look after themselves at all, their offspring will be significantly, uh, you know, paying the price, if you will. Uh, and so, no, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of cleaning up as much as possible. That being said, if 80 to 90% of the time we're great and then we go out and we have a, you know, a glass of wine that's not organic and it's not sulfite-free and, you know, all of that, well, you know, we, we also have to live. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and and that's why part of when I'm looking at my multi-system medicine approaches is part of that 
yes, detoxification is absolutely critical. Um, yes, getting their nutrients corrected and their pH corrected is critical, but also improving their adaptive resilience because I think we need to future-proof ourselves uh, from whatever life throws at us. We don't know what our, what the exposome is going to be in a day, a year, or, or even you know up the road next week. We yeah. just don't know what we're going to be exposed to. All we can do is reduce it to the best of our knowledge and then improve our adaptive resilience, improve our detoxification and uh, and, and hope for the best for us and our children. So block up as many holes in the bucket as you possibly can. Well, um, <laughs> I, I have to make a comment. Um, when a friend and colleague was out here, Dr. Lise Alshler, she had these, it was like a swizzle stick that she waved around the red wine to absorb the sulfites and the histamine, you know, to reduce the histamine response. There is sort of, there are always sort of lotions and potions and workarounds to get around our, our sort of toxin exposure. Um, and for me, in, in clinic, you know, uh, uh, and a dysfunctional histamine response is often tied to estrogen excess. So right. for me, I just I, I have to go back to, okay, what is their estrogen metabolism doing, and why have they got way too much histamine? Why are they coming out with uh, with these types of effects? And often we, you know, we see it associated with migraine premenstrually um, and things like that. So mm-hmm. all of the all of those red flags, and you know, we we have to ask ourselves. So if we are Using those types of, you know, cheeky workarounds, um, it could be that uh, that the person is has an underlying susceptibility that needs to be addressed as well. Yeah, as, that's that's actually a, a yeah. really salient point. As a, you know, you're just really putting a bandaid on a broken leg. You're not fixing the broken leg. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. and you no, know, we we do know, for example, alcohol. Look, Andrew, I love a good Pinot Noir. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> However, we do know that alcohol does inhibit some of the, the the COMPT, which is, you know, the phase two detoxification uh, processes that help detoxify estrogen. So when we're looking at women with estrogen excess issues, uh, we really have to have a look at, well, how much alcohol are they drinking? Um, how much coffee are they drinking? You know, what are the factors that are really um, causing them to have this unhealthy estrogen metabolism and what can we do to help it? For example, we know that glutathione, N-acetylcysteine, milk thistle, resveratrol, all of those beautiful natural medicines um, are really good at helping to uh, helping the body to detoxify some of the more harmful estrogen metabolites like the 4-hydroxyestrogens into the 4-methoxyestrogens, which are relatively inert. So, so yeah, you, you're absolutely right, Andrew. We can't just sort of give everyone a swizzle stick or milk thistle and say, good luck, uh, you, don't worry about your exposome. We need to individualise it. We yeah. need to find out what's happening with our clients and then look at the underlying cause. Why? Why is there so much uh, unhealthy estrogen metabolism yeah, and endocrine disrupting chemicals is a is a really huge one, and also the oral contraceptive pill. I'm I'm really not a fan of the yeah <laughs> of the oral and and, pill. and of course I omitted a very potent drug in the OCP. Uh, just talking about estrogens, but what about progestogens and their issues with insulin resistance and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So it's that's interesting because you know you do get clients coming in and saying, "Oh, you don't need to worry because I'm on the mini pill and it's progesterone only." 
And I always say to them, look, there's a really big difference between a synthetic progestin, which is what you're taking, which is associated, in fact, with high risk of anxiety, depression, clot risk, hair loss, breast cancer, um, you know, as well as what, what you outlined, uh, to those synthetic progestins versus progesterone, natural progesterone, which we know is calming, uh, you know, reduces cardiovascular disease risk, reduces breast cancer risk, uh, improves hair growth, those types of, and is actually a little bit thermogenic. So, so yes, it, it's a, it, it's an education process, I think, mm. of, uh, of their hormonal health. And also, not to forget uh, the little old thyroid, which is very, oh, very yeah. sensitive. Uh, I was just uh, looking at some research recently where they were looking at this total load, if you will, um, and how it can affect uh, cellular T3, you know, cellular thyroid hormone levels. And so that we were, they were talking about things like stress, things like inflammation, um, things like, uh, you know, aging, uh, insulin resistance. All of these factors will actually, um, cause a low peripheral and cellular T3. Uh, and even when the gland itself, before, even before the gland itself is even affected, mm. what we know about endocrine disrupting chemicals in terms of their effect on thyroid hormone production, we know that they have um, a disruptive effect on TSH, T3, T4. Um, they actually affect receptor sensitivity. They definitely affect the peripheral deodinases, um, which convert you know, the thyroid hormone uh, T4 thyroxin into T3. Um, and so I am now having a huge focus with my thyroid clients on um, on the endocrine disrupting chemicals. Specifically, some of the research uh, is that the polychlorinated biphenyls or the PCBs PCB, yeah. and the yeah and the PBDEs as well are um, are specifically known now to disrupt thyroid hormone signaling. So whenever I get a woman coming in with you know low temperature, even if she's got normal normal thyroid blood work, well optimal slash normal. Um, you know, it could in fact be that she's got she's got that chemical load that we need to get rid of. Do you measure these chemicals, the the dioxin-like compounds and and things like that? Well, like you know, we see the measures in fish oil, for instance, PCDDs, yeah, and and yeah. as a as a maximum amount. Um, so therefore, it cannot go over that amount, or else it's it's tainted. It, it won't be um, put onto the market, which I think is a fantastic thing because we sure as heck don't get that from fish. Um, but you know, is it something that you can measure readily, or is it something that you yeah. really need like a research facility to be able to access the machinery to the instrumentation to measure? Yes, yeah. I have to say, Andrew, that there needs to be more in this area. Uh, this is a this is a really big issue for a lot of practitioners is measuring in their clinic just how toxic the clients are. Mm. So my first my first uh, line is uh, you know a very comprehensive questionnaire on their exposome what they've been exposed to. But you can't you know you can't think of every scenario. You know I always say in that that questionnaire please outline if you have you know, worked for five years spraying strawberries with, with uh, right. pesticides, for example. You can't account for for all of that. I, that's why I think that some of the work of the p people like Nicole Bilsma with the building biology is so really oh, important. Yeah. But oh, yeah. I, 
Yeah, absolutely. In my in my practice, I use a questionnaire. I, you can. There are a lot of fantastic functional uh, pathology companies out there, so you can get an environmental pollutants panel, um, and that's something that you know uh, listeners could even look into. Right. Yeah, I will often look at an estrogen, their estrogen metabolism. So I would use the, you know, the dried urine testing of comprehensive hormones because I, I really like that because it gives me all of the different types of hormones and their cortisol. It's a really good look at their endocrine function on the whole. It also tells me how they're methylating, what their 2-hydroxyestrogen metabolism is like, which is the, the beneficial form of estrogen, uh, and what their 4-hydroxyestrogen metabolism is like, and they're 16, so that we can know that they've got the right ratio of estrogen metabolites. Now, why I'm so interested in the four hydroxyestrogen metabolites because they are known to be produced from uh, endocrine disrupting chemicals from these toxins, uh, and they are, um, you know, very much uh, chemical carcinogens, and they form these substances called depurinating adducts, which are biomarkers of cancer. And so, uh, you know, the 4-hydroxyestrogen metabolites are one I pay a lot of attention to. And if that comes up in my testing, then I am going to really have to work on their estrogen metabolism um, because most of these endocrine-disrupting chemicals, not all of them, obviously, but most of them, that's the activity that they have is that they increase these, uh, you know, harmful estrogens that have a very highly proliferative effect. So I measure that. And then I also... Because it's very hard to measure toxins and uh, there's a lot of controversy. You know, people say, well, what about, uh, you know, blood testing for, for heavy metals? And I think, well, you know, that's only going to give us a short term because the body will adapt and try and push the, the you know, the, the toxins where it can sort of, um, you know, cope with them. So, you know, for a lot of our endocrine disrupting chemicals, it pushes them into the fat. Lead will push into the bone. You know, mercury loves the fatty tissue as well. So we're really kind of at a loss of how to effectively measure these toxins. So one of the things that I do have a quick look at often is their porphyrin levels. Why? Because Urinary porphyrins are oxidized intermediate metabolites of heme biosynthesis and they can serve as biomarkers for disorders in heme production. But more than that, what we see is abnormal porphyrin profiles when there is a specific toxin, toxic or group of toxic chemicals or toxic metals um, in the body. So, for example, if you have a high sort of coproporphyrin 3, you can expect that that person has really high lead. And um, if they have a high, you know, uroporphyrin, I can expect that that, that person has high sort of dioxin levels and, um, you know, some other sort of uh, chemical levels. And I think it's a sort of a nice sort of umbrella first line test to do for people when you're wondering about their, their toxin load. And if it comes up that they've got high porphyrins, you can bet that they're really highly toxic, not only in metals, but also chemicals, pesticides and other toxins. And then I might go to, uh, you know, a more in-depth profile like an environmental pollutants panel because these functional tests, as you know, Andrew, they're not, not cheap. Um, so that's where I, that's where I sort of sit in terms of testing for mm. this. But I, I will admit that 
you know, it's a, it's it's an area that we really need to improve on. I mean, even hair tissue mineral analysis, there's question marks around that. And I'm, I will often do a couple of tests at the same time just to sort of back up a, a hair tissue mineral analysis, for example. And are you, do you automatically uh, do a genomic analysis as well and tie that in with the potential for an issue and tie it in with a, you know, a more biochemical issue that, so that you can actually see, yes, there's an issue with that SNP or that you know, part of the, exp, um, the genetic framework that's being uh, affected by the exposome? If I can, absolutely. One thing I've noticed about um, my clients who are willing to invest in their own genome profile is that it makes my prescribing far more effective. And, you know, generally speaking, I get not only do I get better results, but but they're really happy because they're feeling fantastic and they feel like they've uncovered you know, a lot of aha moments. So when we go through that, we, we might, I might say, so are you sensitive to this? And they go, yes, oh my gosh, I've always wondered why that was happening to me. And so I think it's a, a bit of a revelation for them. And it certainly, certainly, Andrew, it has really changed the way I prescribe. Uh, definitely, yeah. because I can I can apply individualized support to different aspects. Not only I know, I know in this conversation we're looking at uh, detoxification, but certainly it, you know many many other factors because a genome profile isn't just going to show us detoxification; it's going to show us you know neurotransmitter um, you know uh, profile. It's going to show us methylation profile. It's going to show us you know what genes may be affecting even our microbiome. Mm. So it's, uh, and also our antioxidant status, which is something that I'm, I'm really big on right now is improving people's antioxidant status because when we start doing these genome profiles, we see, oh my goodness, their detoxification capacity tendency is so reduced. And then you look at their, their, the gene variants for superoxidismutase, glutathione, catalase, and, and they're really reduced as well. And I'm, you know, it's, it's really a recipe for, for the perfect storm, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, I, I, mm. might, I might add the caveat, though, that any sort of genetic profiling with SNPs should be done by a responsibly trained practitioner. And I would warn against people just doing the test for themselves because they might do their own Dr. Google and come out with something which might <laughs> frighten them. But as you say, this is the potential. It's how that reacts with the, your environment, your exposome, and indeed your constitution that says, this is how I handle that gene. This is how that gene expresses the, you know, or, or can't express um, certain enzymes. That, that's, exactly, that's exactly right, Andrew. You know, it's, it's really interesting that you can get people that live a really, really wonderful life and they can have a, their genome profile if you didn't meet them and hear their signs and symptoms. And their genome profile is, uh, you know, doesn't look too great if, if I can be so blunt. Mm. But then you meet them and they, you know, have, they've, they've been a yoga instructor and eaten organic food for the last 15 years and lots of sort of green leafy organic vegetables or they grow their own food and they meditate and they, you know, do spa and sauna and you know detoxification programs and they come in and they don't have the same symptoms oh they're glowing yeah that that you might expect so i that's why you're absolutely right because 
you know, it's not just what what our our profile says, our genome profile says. It's what we do with it that counts. Can I just ask as a last question, further information, where can people learn more about the exposome? Oh, gosh, that's a really interesting question. Um, You know, uh, there are some really good uh, seminars and webinars out there on the exposome. Uh, I've already mentioned, uh, you know, cleaning up the, you know, the, the... the home, uh, and I love the work of Nicole Bilsma. That book is amazing and fantastic. And if you ever get a, the opportunity to do a, a podcast or, a, or listen to a podcast or, or do one of her seminars and webinars, that's fantastic. And, uh, and I guess uh, there's more information coming to light every day. So I think it's just keeping our ears and eyes out. I do, you know, look at, uh, certain websites, you know, the the Environmental Working Group. I know it's an American website, but they tend to have a lot of really good information um, about toxins. Uh, but also the Building Biology website is absolutely fantastic. And that sort of expands out from what we've talked about today because we've really only talked about endocrine-disrupting chemicals and how they can affect estrogen metabolism um, and the endocrine system. However, you know, the building biology site that they're talking about, uh, you know, Wi-Fi and mold mm. and mycotoxins and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge, huge area that's uh, getting bigger and bigger uh, every day. I think we're just at the beginning of our understanding of that as well. Mm. There's, an, there's another really great paper, um, the Endocrine Society's second scientific statement on endocrine-disrupting chemicals. Yeah. Um, and that was published in uh, 2015, and that's got a huge amount of information on it uh, in terms of what to look for, what are they doing, and their impact. It's not going to help us in terms of how do we, what natural medicines do we use to help that. Um, but certainly, if you want to know about the impact of endocrine disrupting chemicals, that uh, that paper is a really nice one. Great, we'll put that up on the FX Medicine website if we can. Great. Uh, listeners. So, Vanessa, I understand you're talking uh, about this subject, or at least in part of it, um, at an ATMS event. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, Andrew. So, on Sunday, the 27th of May, I'll be doing a day-long seminar entitled Cellular Detox and Our Exposome and How We Can Manage Modern Toxic, toxic Exposure. And that'll be in Sydney. And for more details, you can go to the ATMS website. Vanessa, thank you so much for taking us through the Exposome today, not the least of which you've opened me up to It's not just the burden of now or where we lived the last few years, but the total burden that we've had to deal with our life and how that's responding to what we've been given from our parents. Um, It's really enlightening what you've taken us through today. Thank you so much for joining us on FX Medicine. Oh, thank you so much, Andrew. It's been wonderful to chat with you today. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. This podcast is brought to you by the ATMS the Australian Traditional Medicine Society.